0: Welcome to Le Arte dell'Arme, the Bolognese podcast, where we discuss the intricacies of the Bolognese tradition with the practitioners, translators, authors, and teachers working to bring the art back to life. Today's guest is Eleonora Robecchi. Eleonora is the sales director and sales manager at Malas Martialis. She is a graduate of the Academy of Fine Arts in Bologna. Eleonora, welcome to the podcast.
1: <laughs> thank you, Joshua. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for hosting me. Uh, I will be very glad to talk about Malos Matsali's vision of so making so design and dima this night with you.
0: Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. Um, you know, I think that I have far too many of your swords, um, but they, <laughs> in in my in my quest to find swords that match, um, you know. The specifications that I'm looking for, um, for sorts uh-huh. that are perfect for the Bologna system, um, I always come back to Malice Martialis and and the products that you guys make. So one of the things I want to ask you, um, you went to school in Bologna and you studied at the Fine Arts Academy um, in uh, in Bologna. What was it like living in Bologna?
1: Living in Bologna was a delightful experience for me uh, because uh, Bologna is a vibrant modern city that, anyway, preserves the ancient soul uh, with all uh, its towers and, uh, and streets uh, and, and stone everywhere. Uh, I, I had a very, very good time there uh, also because I stayed there for five years. And, uh, it was like a really, really deep experience for, for my life, for my mind, uh, for the, um, for the studies I, I had there. Um, my eyes were able to, uh, be wide open, uh, in that, uh, in that time.
0: Yeah, it sounds beautiful. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, it's sometimes when we're looking at, you know words on a page and and thinking of things from a historical context it's hard to kind of put ourselves in that place but i can imagine that there are a lot of people who would love to trade places with you and have an opportunity to live in in a city like bologna yeah uh, such an ancient city and uh you know so much rich history especially from an academic perspective oh, yeah. um
1: with all the museums and and life, because Bologna today is still a city full of life, even if it's not big like Rome or, or other cities. It, it has uh, some, something magical.
0: I bet. And amazing food, too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, In terms of um, Malus Martialis, you guys have really taken the human world by storm over the last couple of years. And a lot of that seems to result from your emphasis on attention to detail and quality. But your range of designs are so unique and gorgeous and span, you know, centuries of historical uh, texts. Um, Mm -hmm. How has this evolution come about?
1: (laughs) First of all, thank you. (laughs) because we feel like mm, since we started, we sailed for a great journey and we have never stopped to look uh, for our style through practice, research, and also our customers' feedback. Uh, As you said, uh, I have a degree in fine arts, so my great passion for paintings, sculptures, visual arts in general uh, has influenced a lot my way to look uh, and design sorts. Uh, But I'm not a skilled artist nor an educated researcher. Since I started along with Rodolfo, our Smith, we always looked at original sorts anatomies and contemporary swordsmiths who were able to give a soul to their replicas. Uh, Moreover, uh, practice makes perfect. (laughs) Uh, So observation, listening, and will to refine our skills to create something beautiful, functional, and performing was some kind of obsession during these years.
0: Yeah, so what what, what kind of process goes into researching historical swords? How does that come about?
1: (laughs) That's a very good question. (laughs) It needs methods. The first thing you need, uh, as in many things in life and work, is methods. I have mine. When we want to develop a new model or we work on commission, the time spent depends on the depth of of the matter. Uh, First, uh, I collect every possible info about the piece, period, geographical context, if original data are available or if I can collect them myself at the museum, particular traits uh, and construction method when needed. Um, And also, if there are related images in the history of art, studies and academic articles about that. Also, I have a very huge library at the workshop uh, where I I search and I can find similar examples. Uh, Above all, if we need to fill in the gaps, because uh, many times you don't have all the uh, info required to to make the, the entire piece. And the second step, uh, both if I have to create something not perfectly based on the reference, because maybe the pommel, as I said, is missing or because the client asks for a current matching of pieces, or I have to be as faithful as possible, I will use all the photos, stats, and views to design the profile of the various components starting from the blade. Possibly, uh, I can check or find the proportion through the golden section method, developed by Peter Johnson. That's that's my overview <laughs> about my method.
0: No, that's that's really great. Um, so you, you just referenced Peter Johnson. And I think, uh, especially for American hemaists or people who are um, Bolognese practitioners in the United States, they're very familiar with Peter Johnson's work.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> What, what kind of stuff um, do you reference when you're looking at uh, some of his uh, methods?
1: First of all, uh, I can say his approach uh, to, to the study, because uh, he, he analyzes every single tiny aspect of the sword, starting from the construction method and starting from uh, all the um, all, all the particular things that a sword can present, um, I think that uh, the most important thing I admire in his work is the way he see the sword as an object. Uh, I cannot. Maybe I, I am not explaining that in the in the best way, but he has a perception of the sword as an object that is not so uh, common.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, I think you explained that really well, um, <laughs> and 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 it's really fascinating too. I think um, you know, just kind of trying to get into the the headspace that goes into that design, because you know, for <laughs> us, for us as like practitioners. Oftentimes we really only get to see the end product and not necessarily the process that goes into it, but at the same time, we all really love swords. <laughs> That's why yeah. we do that. You know? <laughs> and so I, I think it, it's it's fascinating because it, it almost feels like there's this magical process, you know? It it feels like there's this very old sense of alchemy that goes into creating these things that yeah. are inanimate but and in some way alive.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So do you design uh, your swords to have similar weights and balances to historical swords you've come across in your research?
1: I rely on original data when I design swords, but I am not that scientific. I explain because it's a tricky matter. (laughs) You know, we only make Plant swords due to the Italian law. Authorization can be achieved, but it's a long and expensive journey. So we are working on it uh, and it will need time. Uh, So I, I use the data to my advantage because the sword construction is fully dependent on its purpose. So the original data are adapted and oriented to the final usage. In the case of swords uh, we'll have always to take care of flexibility, resilience, and dynamics. But in the end, the dynamics will have to be as current as possible for the swordsmanship style. The sorts the, the sword or the sorts require. So, uh, it's exactly um, a matter of uh, finding the right tiny balance between all, all the aspects and parts.
0: Yeah, so um, how does that process develop from the specifications of a historical sword to the z- design of like a
1: modern HEMA sword? Usually, uh, we are obliged to keep the edge thicker than a sharp sword, of course. <laughs> so this is one of the main obstacles. And in the design process, I usually applying uh, apply some compensations. For example, uh, by applying fullers or adapting the length, the thickness, the width uh, of the various parts of the sword. Uh, it's a matter of mm, compromises many times.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um- So in you do you go I know that you said that a lot of the um, information that you get is from your library or from um, sort of research that you do online and stuff like that, have you had an opportunity to go to museums and see historical swords.
1: Yeah, I, I had the, the honor and the pleasure to to be able to handle uh, some original sorts and to trace them uh, and and also register the, the stats of them. Uh, it's not so easy, especially in, in Italy. Uh, we have a real uh, difficulty in uh, approaching museums because they look at us like, what are you doing? What do you want from me? <laughs> 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 but but uh, on the other hand, uh, for example, uh, we, we had the, the honor and the pleasure to be at the Marzoli Museum in Brescia. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we had the chance to have the the famous uh, 2 end the uh, sword for, from grecia mm-hmm. uh, and and it was delightful because uh despite uh, the sword uh, as as uh, been heavily health altered as a magnificent presence. The pommel, the guard, the large fuller blade are amazingly nice aesthetically speaking. Um, another uh, sword I really remember with a lot of admiration is the boy sword preserved in the Zollingen Klingen Museum uh, in Germany. Uh, that's a very particular sword because uh, uh, it has tiny dimensions Uh, and it was meant uh, probably to be uh, for a young, rich boy, (laughs) and and it's a deadly weapon, and it has a peculiar construction. The pommel and the part of the grip are one piece with a blade. The gilded details and the fancy filings on scales, are, are give it a royal look. They they are, I think, some of the most stunning swords I I saw in my in my career.
0: Huh, that's fascinating. We're gonna have to get you over and so and get you into up to Wisconsin so you can go see the Oakshot Institute swords at some point. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I really would like to. <laughs> Auction, for me, is, is something that, that I always relied upon uh, since my source meeting, if we can call it like, like that, mm-hmm. started uh, in 2014. Uh, and because also because uh, Italian occlology is uh, a little bit uh, Difficult in comparison with the auction method. Mm-hmm. That's really more—it's uh, clearer and and also uh, I think it's extensive than the, the Italian one because the, the Italian opology focuses on the aesthetic uh, part of, of the sword. So um, and also uh, some hypotheses of usage sometimes. Uh, so it's not so um, uh, rational in, in a way, it's more an, an artistic approach to, to, the, to the sword. Uh, while Oxford has a more rational way to look at the swords as a collector, uh, and it was very, very useful and important for my, uh, for my education as a sword designer,
0: yeah, no, that, that's really cool and fascinating because I think that's a really unique insight. I, I didn't know that there was a different uh well I, I I guess I never really looked into it, but I didn't know that there was an Italian uh typology. Um and it's really fascinating that it's based on aesthetic. That's that's really fascinating.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um yeah, so what I mean, how does modern HEMA practice or trends in HEMA affect the designs you create?
1: Hmm. Uh, that's, that's an interesting question. Uh, we make what we like to do, generally. Of course, as I said, one of the main focuses is listening to our users' feedbacks. But making Hema sorts allowed us not to betray our philosophy and satisfaction for the work.
0: yeah i mean uh one of the things that i always think about with your sword designs in particular um are that they're designed with functionality in mind i mean mm-hmm. uh, you know your your spatulated tips all of your swords have tremendous flex uh for safety mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and but they're still designed like historical swords every time i pick up you know my malice morato mm-hmm. i i think that you know, I feel like I'm holding a historical sword or at least a sword mm-hmm. that matches the other sharp swords that I have. Um, yeah. And I love that about about your design, because, you know, that's really what we're aiming for. And there's so many difficulties, I feel like, in creating that where, you know, a lot of fetters that you'll pick up um, like German fetter, like long sword fetters. Yeah, they represent an idea, but mm-hmm so many of them don't actually represent historical swords when you pick up a fetter and then you switch to a two-handed sword you mm-hmm. feel the difference in, in the way that the sword is designed and how it's used whereas if i pick up my side sword if i pick up my my marazzo, and then i pick up my sharp side sword that i have sitting behind me right now um i don't feel that much of a difference it feels like it's the same weapon
1: uh, did you know that uh, the historical uh, Federschwerter uh, uh, have a reverse taper? Uh, mm, I, I explain. Um, in, the, in the modern uh, replicas or, or IMA renditions, mm-hmm. um, the, the Federschwerter um, are like big foils. For, mm-hmm. for sport, uh, two-handed big foils, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the original ones, the uh, the base of the blade is uh, uh, narrower than the point. Um, there are some studies about that. Um, uh, which explain that it was meant for safety and also for for the sport dueling for the time. And, uh, and also that looking at the original uh, specimen, um, the, the blade uh, had a, f- a flexibility from both in the cut action and uh, in, in the other axis of the blade. Um, and, and this is very fascinating because uh, I, I am really convinced that the feathers that we use for sport are nothing uh, compared to, to the ones that are preserved in the museums right now that um, they are really different but I, I can understand why of course because uh, uh, we have some uh, requirements and also we have some rules uh, rule sets too for the tournaments. And that's why functionality sometimes uh, for the modern practic- practice changes the the, the, the original uh, anatomy.
0: Yeah, that is incredibly fascinating. <laughs> <The idea. laughs> um, I, I I've imagine that that's going to start a lot of conversations because um, <laughs> that's going to definitely you know, affect some people's opinions on things. And I love that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, that's really
0: great. Now, so one of the things uh, I, I had asked Stephen Freitas if he wanted me to ask you any questions. And his question was, um, we often see in the Bolognese sources that they used um, blunt training swords as well. Yeah, Um yeah. Have you come across any, like, fencing-specific blunt swords that were from the Renaissance or um,
1: during uh, During museum uh, uh, visits, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, OK, OK. <laughs> uh, nope, uh, not yet, really. <laughs> so uh, in general, uh, my, all, all the stats I have uh, are about uh, uh, sharp swords uh i i saw some uh, uh fencing trainers um my mind goes to some uh rapier like uh, blunt trainer uh, in the wallace collection for example uh that has um a thickened point uh, at the end it's um, it has a, a rectangular uh, cross section and it has that that Point which is uh, uh, hammered and uh, thickened. Uh, so it, it is very, very similar mm, as a concept or a point of view. Uh, it's very similar to a modern Olympic foil, in, in, as it was some kind of parent <laughs> and ancestor. Okay. Yeah. No, I, 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 I didn't have any chance yet, unfortunately.
0: And that doesn't sound too dissimilar to what we see now from a lot of trainers where you know you have some sort of either a spatulated tip or like a broadened tip or even a rolled tip and then mm-hmm. sort of you know blunted edges. so
1: they are really different, really different and in the modern times we look for the sword. of uh we, we look for a soul uh that is uh, really a similar to the ancient one uh but they didn't ha- have that that necessity uh that they were more towards uh, a functional uh usage because they had sorts <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> that, that's the way
0: that's really interesting so are there any um, issues in historical designs that don't work for modern human practice or vice versa?
1: Yes, Uh, most of the times both the profile and the distal tapering of the original sorts become the challenge. (laughs) Also, the the fanciness of many original sorts has to be sacrificed for functional and, and cost reasons. Of course, um, that's one of the points. You always have to take care of the efficiency in the working process. Um, You cannot uh, um, rely on uh, your creative uh, uh, soul uh alone uh, but you also have to rely on your tools uh, your uh, your skills of course and also above all times of of, uh, of development and working of peace. so that that's that's i think these are these are the, the most important uh, uh issues in my opinion
0: uh, yeah that's that's really interesting so um, I had a bunch of um, user or I guess uh, listener questions that um, they all seem to revolve around different pommel types, <laughs> I think that's what yeah. everyone wanted me to ask about. Um, so one of them was, have you considered making a square Venetian pommel, uh, as we often see in museum pieces?
1: Yes, <laughs> but maybe not for regular models, uh, but for custom ones, for example. And we already experimented those kind of shapes uh, before. Uh, and I like them very much, but they need a little bit more time to be to be done. Uh, so uh, I, I think that I would mm, suggest them for custom uh, uh, sorts.
0: Yeah, and you guys just came out with the Maleficent, right? Which is
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> super cool. Uh The gorgeous pommel um,
1: with the horns. <laughs>
0: I know. You know, every time, I, every time I turn around and I think that I'm done buying swords from you guys, you guys come out with something interesting that I end up having to want to get. So <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I guess that's a good thing, though, right? Um, so, what about hollow pommels? Have you guys I mean, there seems to have been a trend for hollow pommels in historical swords. Um, Have you experimented with designing any hollow pommels?
1: Uh, It uh, happened once. Uh, We cooperated once with a customer uh, who was very skilled uh, in wax casting. And so uh, we developed uh, together a custom medieval one-handed stock uh, with the hollow pommel. It was uh, made uh, of bronze. And the result was impressive. Uh, He also wanted, for example, uh, the the pommel slightly rotated, uh, like on the historical specimen. So it was a nice experiment, um, also with the holopomel and uh, the rotated uh, uh, verse.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So when you I've I've heard this come up quite a bit, especially for people like uh, I know that uh, a huge proponent of this is Roland Wacheca, But with the rotated pommels, how how does that historically show up in swords? With the do they rotate it so it angles with the hand? Does it so if yeah. like if I'm, if I'm a right-handed fencer, would I angle my pommel to the right or to the left?
1: Uh, you have it rotated to the left because uh, uh, in in the cut uh, you you the the position of the pommel helps you to keep the sword uh, not like uh, an hammer but like uh, a knife if you know what I mean, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, also this this feature is very well uh, in, um uh, pre- present in uh, high me- medieval and uh, uh, medieval sorts in general. Uh, also, also because uh, um, of the um, anthropome- anthropometry. Sorry, this is a very difficult word for me. <laughs> <That's amazing>. Okay, <laughs> uh, the the way the wrist and the hand uh, are on our body. <laughs> okay and yeah. th- that that anatomy follows exactly uh, it, it comes to my mind a, a nice and funny example that can be uh, useful uh, I don't know if you know uh, uh, vertical mouses for, for the computer um, uh, they, they are uh, not like regular mouses uh, yeah. but your your wrist and your hand stay uh, following the the angle of, of the arm, okay. So uh, the ergonomics of, of that object is exactly the same of uh, uh, the concept behind the rotated pommel.
0: Oh yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. Um, that's and it's really interesting. I, have you seen any rotated pommels uh, for like wheel pommels and things like that in later swords? Was that something that was still being done with some Renaissance swords? Or did it sort of fade over time?
1: Um, I I don't have uh, so many references about that in later swords. But there's one thing I can say, uh, despite uh, I don't have the, the necessary info. Um, if a sword is meant to cut, I think that that is a very good feature. If a sword is meant to trust, then uh, uh, a pommel uh, with um, uh, a round cross-section, mm-hmm. uh, a circular cross-section, like, uh, I don't know, a fig pommel uh, or a sand stopper pommel, for example, um, it, it, it's also very um, coherent with, with the rest of the sword and its usage. Uh, I, I am very convinced by the fact that uh, every part of the sword is uh, always uh, perfectly fitted on uh, the the final purpose.
0: Yeah, um, I, I I think that's really interesting because because I have a lot of your swords. I have a lot of different <laughs> pommels. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of you know i i feel like yeah the the different swords with different pommels sort of tell me what that sword wants to do um they Mm -hmm. always provide their own personality to the sword um you know thinking about like the uh type 19 um side sword um the the 1432 i think yeah that one um just wants to cut i love using that sword for sword and buckler they just feel like they go together you know but then i use uh, my malice martialis with the uh the Murato two um yeah. that i have that has the fig pommel and it wants to do everything you know <laughs> i mean I, it, it's just it, it feels like it's my swiss army knife of of side swords so um i just i, I have all these different personalities in my swords and and they kind of just tell me what they want to do
1: yeah exactly exactly it's not you uh, who govern the sword but it's the contrary you only help it to to do what you want but she she is leading
0: yeah exactly yep it's like <laughs> it's like the opposite of a dance right instead yeah. of yeah exactly i like that um so, you know, swords are the queen of historical arms, but there are a plethora of other arms that make up a lot of Italian fencing traditions, uh, especially in the Bolognese tradition. Um, have you guys tried designing trainers for like partisans, rancas, spietos, halberds, or spears?
1: Honestly, not yet. Uh, we made some of them uh, most medieval. Uh in, in our career, through our career, but uh, we never had the necessary request to to design them, to produce them, also. Uh, so honestly, <laughs> I can say not yet. I'm sorry.
0: All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a campaign right now for all of everybody who listens <laughs> to this podcast to send you an email and request that you guys make a partisan trainer because. We need we need a good partisan trainer. Um, that's that's what the community needs right now.
1: <laughs> and I will listen as always.
0: <laughs> perfect, perfect. So Eleanor, besides um, being you know the uh, the marketing manager and and sales director um, at uh, Malice, you are also a fencer. Um, Tell me a little bit about your martial arts background um, and how you got started into hema fencing.
1: <laughs> the first time I was looking for, uh, I was wielding a sword, and I was looking to have a sword. It was in 2011. Oh uh, my god, uh, it's 10 years ago. Uh, I am <laughs> getting old. <laughs> <laughs> OK. <laughs> and um, it was the time that I came home from Bologna uh, to, to Mantua because uh, I'm uh, I'm from Mantua. And now I live in Florence. Uh, so I have always wandered a lot uh, through Italy. <laughs> and um, it was um, the fact that I was searching for uh, a sport um, that could not annoy me so much uh, because I, I'm, I'm a person who, who is very uh, uh, intellectual in a way. Uh, I like to overthink. Uh, like many, m- many ar- artists, women, uh, people uh, who, who play with swords. <laughs> and, uh, and in the end, I, I found that uh, school where I started. Um, and it was uh, like uh, starting from uh, Vadi and Fiore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so medieval two-handed sword. Uh, and and then uh, when I moved to Florence, uh, Rodolfo, uh, who is uh, Howard Smith, uh, also uh, practiced and 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 also taught uh, fencing. Uh, he had school too. Uh, and, and I started to, to practice uh, more fiore, <laughs> less body, uh, but I started with uh, uh, the London Tower fact book, uh, so, sword and butter. Uh, and it was like, uh, uh, yes, about uh, between eight and five years ago. Uh, and yeah, I, I keep, keep, uh, kept up. To, to study until I, I began to, to design and produce side sorts, And that was the point where I decided to uh, study a little bit more of side sorts because it was like, my God, side sorts are so fascinating. I like to make them, I like to design them, but how do they behave? <laughs> So, so I I decided to take some lessons uh, here in Florence, um, and and it was very very interesting because uh, I saw analogies, but also the the different and the uh, development of the swordsmanship through through the centuries.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's an awesome journey. Um, <laughs> so, do you guys ever? You know, if you guys have a dispute at work, do you guys just ever draw swords on each other and start fighting?
1: <laughs> Once uh, we, we were quarreling uh, in, a, in a funny way uh, and uh, I had a pen in my in my hand. And uh, uh, it was like, I tried to attack Rodolfo with a pen. And he said, stop. The pen hurts more than the the sword. (laughs) So so, yeah. (laughs) Some kind of. (laughs)
0: Uh, That is awesome. That's fantastic. Um, (laughs) So um, as you've gotten into, to fencing with side sword, Um, what kind of, what's been the focus of your study? Um, Have you looked at any of the Bolognese masters? Uh,
1: Currently, I am looking at uh, um, Bolognese masters, uh, but in, um, I I don't know if it's the word, but it's uh, a mixing of some of their uh, teachings Uh, when i study my um, my teacher or my instructor always points out uh, uh, where uh, that move that position that action was taken from uh, but we don't study precisely Morozzo or Dallagocche or uh, um, Manciolino and, and so on. Um, we we study a method, so, something like uh, uh, a more transversal. I don't know if it's the right word, a transversal way to 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 look at the the, the treatise without forgetting about the, the coherence and the usage of the various techniques. Hmm.
0: Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, I know of, uh, quite a few schools that sort of operate in that way. Um, and and they produce really great fencers. So mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really awesome. Um, <laughs> So what is in, in your fencing experience um, what is something that you think that we as a community can do to better reflect either the sources or the spirit of the sources in our fencing hmm.
1: <laughs> this is a very very important question I don't know if I want to answer <laughs> <laughs> but I will try <laughs> because because it's a very uh, wide uh, concept. Um, I, I think that we are on the right path because we are working a lot on uh, uh, on spreading uh, this culture all around the world. Uh, if you think about in the 90s, uh, uh, we were uh, a very, very uh, little niche. We are still a niche, of course, uh, but with uh, the technology, the, um, the internet, and also uh, this culture of revival, of vintage, in, in a way, uh, is a friend uh, of our uh, effort to, uh to share this passion of ours. Um, to to be even more uh, uh, e- even more capable to, to communicate our uh, our tradition our uh, our sport, uh, I think that we should work a lot, uh, and we are still we are already do it doing it. Uh, On the marketing, Uh, I I am, uh, maybe I am a little uh, uh, inclined to think about marketing because uh, uh, it's one of the things that I always take care of. uh, Also, because it's not that simple to communicate in the right way uh, what you do. Uh, If you use a... a wrong communication, people in, in, in our field, in the fencing field, will think, oh yeah, knights are uh, fighting in shiny armor, and that's, that, that's it. <laughs> if, if we are able to, to spread uh, the culture and uh, the fighting, uh, the, the fighting effort, we, we make the, the sport, the, the, uh, the, the fascinating world behind the tournament, okay? Because not everyone wants to make tournaments. Not everyone wants to compete. Uh, so we are really open to a lot of uh, uh, different individuals who can enjoy from practicing yeah. So So co- communication is the point.
0: Yeah, that's a uh, really great insight. Um, I, I, and I agree with you. Um, I think that, you know, communication and understanding that, like you said, that, you know, a lot of people are looking for different things when they come into HEMA, too, mm-hmm. is also super important because, um, you know, not everybody wants to look at it as a sport. Some people want to just live the history. Um yeah. And that exactly. and that's just as important um as you know somebody being a really good athlete or a really great um you know sport fencer. But um you know the core of what HEMA is is so much of rediscovering the history and, and reconnecting yeah. with it um in a way that's meaningful.
1: Exactly. I, I totally agree. And that's amazing, in my opinion, because not so many sports are able to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's I, I mean, I'm a history nerd, so <laughs> it's not, it, it is it is my driving passion uh, of what yeah. really connects me to history or to, to HEMA in general. But at the same time, you know. Even in our club, we have lots of different people who came to HEMA for different reasons. You know, I mean, some people kind of came to it because they were fantasy, they were, you know, you know, we have some people who have written Dungeons and Dragons books.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And we have some who are just, you know, they love fantasy and they love the idea of fantasy and engaging with swords because of fantasy. And then we yeah. have some people that are passionate about history and we have some people who are just like, Hey, this is a really cool way to work out. It beats the heck out of running, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but that's absolutely right because swords are cool. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, you just, there's different different way to look at it for everybody but in the end they're all beautiful and unique and and wonderful and I think it should be yeah. celebrated yeah
1: yeah <laughs> what, what a lovely what, what a lovely concept
0: <laughs> yeah so what do we what can we expect um, from you guys coming up soon are there any anything in the works that uh, that you're excited about
1: <laughs> we have a lot a lot of uh, things that are coming up uh, beyond products uh, that we are developing uh, every year, and um, right now we are also adding a lot of products in the in the next month to to our catalog. Uh, also new side sorts, uh, also Venetian models. Uh, if you uh. follow us. <laughs> If you follow us on our social media, you have uh, already seen something, uh, Venetian-inspired. And uh, uh, I think anyway that the most uh, huge and ambitious project we are working on And I think it's the first place I I say uh, this this uh, news. Uh, So (laughs) it's it's the first announcement, public announcement. Um, We are working on the e-commerce platform for our website. Awesome. (laughs) And this will be a very great. Innovation for us because uh, currently I'm managing all the, uh, the various orders and requests all by hand, all, all by myself and manually and it's a very very huge work also because uh, uh, many times uh, uh, i don't have only to take care of uh, customers that but also to about designs and management so uh, it's a hard hard job for me uh, but uh, I I will be very, very glad when all, all these stars will be aligned in the sky <laughs> and we will be able also, to, I will be able to be more efficient and uh, and also more um, uh, faster. Yeah, n- not more, but faster uh, mm-hmm. in, in replying and to follow the custom orders, for example.
0: Well, I think that's a testament to you because... Um, <laughs> everybody that I have spoken to about Malice Martialis, the first thing that they say is that you guys have the best customer service of <laughs> any HEMA supplier that they've ever dealt with. Um, and and I can attest to that from my own experience. Um, and you know, it's, it's something that I think really makes you guys unique. And I think it's something that has really endeared um, your business to so many um, Hema people, because you are very honest and, and transparent, and you communicate <laughs> phenomenally. And to hear that of your challenges just makes it feel like even more of a, a Herculean effort. Because um, yeah. you know it's it's incredible what you do. And
1: um, <laughs> I am always very committed to to the customer requests, even if I can take a few days, or also sometimes for difficult. Requests a few weeks because uh, um, I always try to empathize and to um, be in, in the uh, customer's clothes. Uh, uh, so so I try I try to to understand how I would like to be. Uh, treated. I, I would like to be uh, s- yes, m- hosted or or also uh, listened to. Uh, so so that's that's the point. Uh, when when someone asks me something, uh, I always uh, uh, ask myself. How I would like to be answered to to a question like that, and I think that the the best way to discuss something with with the, not only with the customers but also with a friend. So I have that in. in image in my mind customers are not only customers because they come and buy they are people and they are interesting people and i can share something with them that's why maybe uh people are uh, feel feel okay when when they speak with me <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. no absolutely um yeah it's um empathy goes a long way to making people feel good about their experience, um, and the fact that you can do that, I think, makes you very special. indeed. Um,
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's really, I, I, I could cry for that, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we, we went through a lot this, this fall, you and I, <laughs> having to deal with, you know.
1: I spoke a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no 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 uh you know like this this fall i i ended up one of my swords that i had ordered ended up getting lost in the post and you know you guys didn't hesitate to just take care of the situation get a new sword made and have it sent my way mm-hmm. um you know and for me you know and that's endearing to to like be a customer and to know that things go wrong but you you still have somebody on the other end that's yeah. gonna you know work with you and, and make sure that you you get what you were looking for um yeah you know, instead of trying to you know not <laughs>
1: <laughs> issues issues happen they are part of the everyday life uh, mm-hmm. and we can't control them we can only fix them so <laughs> let's fix them <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, that's great. All right. Well, um, Eleanor, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up there. Um, it was an absolute honor to have you on here. Um, I I really appreciate you coming on. And I think that uh, everyone's going to get a lot out of this episode. So um, thank you uh, for myself and, and thank you on behalf of everybody else that listens.
1: Thank you, Joshua. I enjoyed this interview a lot. And it was a really, really great honor to meet you, to be with you this night.
0: And that concludes another episode of Le Arte dell'Arme, the Bolognese podcast. I want to thank Eleonora again for coming on and joining me. That was a tremendous amount of fun. Um, It was great getting to know her. Next week's guest is going to be Michael Jester, the curator of Um We're going to talk a little bit about what it, what it takes to uh, transcribe, um, interpret, and uh, translate texts. So um, definitely stay tuned for that. A quick housekeeping announcement. Um, I'm going to start to deviate from the interview format a little bit and start to incorporate um, and intersperse throughout the interviews. uh, A couple of different episodes where I'm going to do a hyper-focus on the plays, starting with Morazzo's book two. Uh, My goal is to just do a textual analysis from a tactical and strategic standpoint and kind of get into the higher level uh, thinking that's going into the plays and really setting out a a framework um, that can potentially help people in their studies of the text, sort of like uh, what I did with uh, Eric Weiss and the horsemanship. Um, So I think... I don't think that they'll be in order. Um, I think uh, I've already got a few people to commit uh, to doing sword and dagger and sword alone, um, so I'll probably go ahead and, and get those episodes out to you guys um, once I've got them recorded. Um, but uh, they will probably still fall in the uh, in the weekly format. So uh, just uh, stay tuned for that, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, it'll be uh, encouraging content that'll uh, be a benefit to everybody. So. With that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up. I just want to say thanks for listening and uh, stay saucy, my friends.